0: Good morning from our home to yours. If it's the first time that you're tuning in, we just want to say a massive welcome to you this morning. Welcome to our Sunday Morning
1: Service. Jesus said, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. But raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day.
2: Join us this morning, and I'm sure during this past week many of you have been wondering about the new government guidance that will be coming into effect in July and what that will mean for us as a church. Well, at the moment, all I can say is that as elders, we are considering what would be best for us as a church, and that's not always easy to figure out, but we'll soon be letting you know what the plans are. But for today, We thank God that we can meet this way. And also that we can hear from different members of the church as we have been over the past weeks. And this week I spoke to John and Carol Whitehouse and we're going to hear from them now. Hi, Carol and John. Hi Tim. Hello Tim. It's good to see you both. Thank you for joining us.
3: That's great. We're pleased to uh, to see your face as well.
0: <laughs> to see anybody.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's obviously what I wanted to talk to you about because uh, obviously in recent weeks at church, we've been speaking to different people who have had different lockdown experiences. And I wanted to talk to the, the two of you because yours has been, I think, maybe particularly challenging. The, the lockdown obviously came at a very awkward time for you with... Carol's treatment and so on. So maybe you could just tell us um, how the lockdown experience has been for you, given given Carol's health situation?
3: Well, it's uh, it's been, uh, at times, it's been a scary thing because uh, on the 13th of March, you and Megan came to our house to uh, pray with Carol and, and yourself and uh, that was, uh, that, that was really great. After that, we were going on to the QE hospital for a consultation with the oncologist. And as I say, that was the 13th of March. Uh, the oncologist said, look, with the coronavirus at its going up to its peak, uh, I think it's best that you isolate yourself and be very careful what you're doing. And that was a bit of a, a shock. But we did start to self-isolate uh, from that. And then after we we were shielding, we, uh, you know, once it, the virus reached its peak, we just had to uh, stay at home. And uh, so all that was, was new and scary and took us uh, a little time to assimilate to it. Um, there was, uh, you know, uh, the point that we had to be very careful with uh, our family. Um, we, we couldn't see them all, Esther and Gareth and, uh, and Atlanta. We just had to uh, just, you know, leave them to it. So, um, you know, we sort of developed um, what we were doing as, as we went along. Yeah. Do you want to add to that? Yeah,
0: and, and Esther helped us with sorting out food so that we we could uh, have an order at Tesco and we they came when we were struggling with odd things and they'd come into the garden. So that was all strange. But um, the main thing was, I think, we thank God that we were able to get into chemo because had it been a few weeks, weeks later, which is a bit scary, God knew we needed to be on the go and the first time we went that was really scary because it was a new hospital for me and there was hardly anybody in the car park and we went to the foyer at the Queen Elizabeth and then you realised that um, it was different because they stopped John from going with me. I had to go up six flights of stairs, which I hadn't got a clue. And I felt like running away. But it's like that's when your faith comes in and you have to move. And then God's there. And he was. And it was scary because it was the day they were closing wards as well. And I sat there having chemo, watching them empty wards. So it was almost surreal going into a hospital that you knew there was a virus and you were going in there to be poisoned (laughs) but thank god managed and the the next few chemos were in different areas getting more um isolated really but they were looking after me well um yes it's it's been challenging Yeah uh feeling ill but it it's like we were we knew we'd got to isolate and it's like everybody's joined us
3: (laughs) yeah Yeah, we thought we thought that uh yeah this is going to take us up to august with the treatments and uh we were just amazed that everybody else has has joined us you know (laughs) but the uh
2: we wanted to support you in every way we could well well, i want you to all
3: know we really appreciate it (laughs) because one of the one of the things that happened last time when carol in 2017 was having chemo then um we uh you know we we really did feel you know the world was carrying on without us Mm. and uh as you know so we've been right in the middle of it and that helps with your your mental state and, and uh, you know if you feel that you're being left behind it's 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 not uh, not pleasant. Yeah.
2: Well you've already mentioned a, a little bit in terms of uh, what's helped you through these past months but maybe you could tell us a little bit more just both in practical uh, ways that you've been able to deal with things and also maybe spiritually what has helped you uh, in that way during this time?
0: I think for me, um, I've had to, it's tested my faith and yet it's made me stronger because when you're at the end, you've got nowhere else to go. And when, as Christians, we say we've got faith, we say we trust him, but it's when the chips are down and you literally have to go from, Uh, A fear point of view to step out and look above and I found if I take my eyes off Jesus at all I could go down and there was something I read the other day about faith combating fear and that's absolutely what I felt as I've gone along and each time has been a challenge. I've just said, Lord, I can't do this without you. I cannot do it. I'm at the end. I'm at the bottom. And when you feel ill as well, but He's always been there. It's mm. me. It's me. If anything has gone to pieces, and let me tell you, we've cried a lot, uh, and we've had a sing, which has been good. Other people might not think so, but (laughs) we've had a sing. It's it's not
3: wise to open the window. No, don't open
0: the window. (laughs) But God has lifted us up. I found this the last time, the fact that when you're at the end, that's when your faith is Mm. at the top. And and I I had somebody say to me, Carol, you're so brave. And I said, I've been watching people having chemo and they don't know Jesus. They're the ones that are brave. I'm leaning on him utterly and completely. I don't know what I'd do without the hope I've got. And and I think that's how we get through Every day, I have to tell him, I can't do this without you. I cannot do it. So, if that's an encouragement to somebody, that's great. It don't mean to say it's been easy.
3: Yeah. But God's good. Mm. And I think, you know, on a practical side, to be able to uh, get the services online and to hear you and Steve yeah you know give the message every sunday that's that's been really encouraging and uh, it has helped really with our, our daily devotion and uh, yeah it's 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 been special i mean you know on practical sides i mean I, i've i never liked doing jigsaws yet over the last three months i've mm-hmm. actually uh, done uh, six that was bought for me and i've done those twice and Rob Couchman has, has supplied me with one or two uh, that are very difficult. One I will send straight back to him, but <laughs> uh, but that's it. And then you know when we've we've been singing and learning new songs, and uh, it was a song going around uh, at, the, at the, the middle of the uh, pandemic, and that was the blessing. And uh, we've learned to play and sing that and. Um, I hardly can't get through it because I always cry at the words.
0: Yeah, so we 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 cry when we're singing as well. Mm. But our family's been good. We've had encouragement from them. You can do it. We're we're with you. That's sort And even better that they love Jesus the same as
2: us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Thank you. Um. So that's kind of brought us up to where we are now. What's the current situation with your treatment, Carol, and in, in terms of being able to access that? Is that still going as originally planned?
0: Yeah, I've got two more chemo to do, which you'll be in two weeks time. The, the next one will be the 10th of, of July. Um, it knocks me about completely. I was in bed for two days last week. Thank God I'm, I'm getting stronger again. So we've got two more to do. I don't know where I shall be going next time. They tell me a few days before. Same hospital, different venue. Um, And the the good news is, is the fact that each time I've had a blood test, uh, the blood count or whatever it is, the blood number is coming down. And it's last time uh, when they told me um, it was 20-something, which is supposed to be normal. Now, I just trust God each each time. Yeah. Uh, I come off the phone and I'm, I probably buckle at the knees and I'm in tears. But I just thank God for whatever is next. So, should finish August, God willing. And then we wait and see what they say then. But I'm looking forward to coming back to church.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're looking forward to having you both back when when that's possible. So how can we be praying for you at the moment then?
0: I think for me, uh, peace and strength to get through it. Um, and just being able to relax in him and, and not try and go forward where he wants me to be don't keep looking ahead none of us know whether we've got tomorrow that's none of us so it's just being content more and more content in him that's for me mm. and for you as well John because it it's hard for a carer to be watching
3: yeah. In
0: fact, I think it's harder
3: it, it has been difficult and at times that there's been a, a little dip you know where of you know it's I thought well, Carol said, I, I, "I don't know if I can go on," yeah, and I, I when said, I felt "Yeah, when you felt ill," and, and I, I thought, "Well, I don't know if I can," but we do. We, yeah. we rally round, and uh, you know, God's God's blessing us, and you know, that's all we can we can say about that. We just put in our trust in the Father completely. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, we will continue to pray for you, and it is lovely to see you both. I think that just helps to bring you both back before us, remind us how much you need our prayers. So, thank you. And uh, we do look forward to uh, being able to see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, team. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that you are our refuge and our fortress. We thank you for the ways John and Carol have experienced that in these past months. And we know, too, that having you as our refuge and fortress does not mean life will automatically get easy for us. And so we continue to pray for Carol and John. As Carol continues with this exhausting course of treatment on top of the strain of isolation we ask that you will carry them through the day-to-day challenges carry them through the low moments when things feel just too hard and when there is real fear will you give them faith and courage not because of themselves but because of you and we want to extend that prayer to include all of those in our fellowship Will you carry each one of us through? We think of particularly uh, today Les Ratherham and Les Hubble in their physical weakness and in their new situations as they've both moved uh, into care homes this week. We ask you to give them strength to trust you and to remember your goodness even when everything is being turned upside down for them. We pray also for Isabel Stryker as she prepares for her job interview tomorrow. Will you give her peace, give her presence of mind, and whatever happens, will you remind Isabel that her future is in your hands? In Christ, she is loved and precious. Will you help all of us remember that truth? in our fears, in the times when our plans unravel in front of us. And this morning, will you speak to us through your word? We know that even when your word comes to challenge and to correct us, even those challenges and corrections come from our loving Father, who will never let us go. Amen. In a few moments, we're going to hear a challenge about authority, a challenge from God's Word. How do we respond to authority? How do we use authority when we have it? But first, our next song shows us how Jesus Christ both submitted to his Father's authority and also how he used his own authority for the good of others. From his high position as God, Jesus worked to lift others up. The song is Meekness and Majesty. The book of Ephesians ends with one of the most memorable images in the Bible. It pictures you and me dressed up in very cool armor, ready to fight the devil. And that picture has not just inspired Christians. It didn't just give John Bunyan a striking image to work with when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress and pictured Christian in a bloody battle with Apollyon. I wouldn't be surprised if the end of Ephesians inspired plenty of non Christians as well, like the original creators of the Marvel characters. It's not hard to go from the picture of Christian fighting Apollyon to Captain America or Iron Man or Captain Marvel fighting the demonic looking enemies they fight. That probably gives you a clue as to what my family has been doing during the lockdown. It's inspiring to think of an armored hero taking his or her stand against a satanic beast. And if you and I are going to live the Christian life, we need the inspiration of that picture. The Christian life involves serious spiritual warfare against the devil and his demons. But there is another kind of warfare involved in the Christian life. It doesn't have a cool image to go with it, but it is equally important. And you and I, as Christians, dare not neglect it. The passage we're going to look at this morning is not about fighting the devil. That will come next week. Today's passage is about the other spiritual warfare. What is that spiritual warfare? Well, it's the battle you and I are called to fight in our own hearts. It's a battle against the deep desire in our heart to either rebel against authority or to abuse authority. If we're under authority, we have a deep inclination to rebel against it. And if we have authority, we have a deep inclination to abuse that authority. To use it in ways that harm others. So let's hear about this battle from Ephesians. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is God's Word, and it's about the spiritual battle involved in pleasing the Lord when it comes to authority. And this passage focuses on two arenas where we have to fight this spiritual battle, pleasing the Lord when it comes to authority in your family, and pleasing the Lord when it comes to authority at work. I say this battle is about pleasing the Lord because this section of the letter is showing us how to please the Lord. Back in chapter 5, verse 10, Paul said to these Christians, and to us, find out what pleases the Lord. In chapter 5, verse 17, he said, understand what the Lord's will is. So if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have already received God's gift of forgiveness and new life in Christ. Now, Paul is telling us, live for Christ. Find out what pleases him and do it. And Paul has been showing us different ways that we can please the Lord. Or another way to look at this is to notice that Paul has been showing us what a life filled with God's Holy Spirit looks like. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like when our lives are given over to the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit? Paul has shown us it doesn't just mean we sing songs full of wonderful truth and powerful emotion. It also means we get serious about honoring Christ in our relationships. Last week we heard about wives and husbands. This time... It's children and fathers, and then slaves and slave masters. Now, none of us are slaves or slave masters, but what Paul says still has application for us, as we'll see, I hope. But first, let's hear about the challenge of pleasing the Lord when it comes to authority in your family. Just think for a moment, what is the first word we all learn to say as little toddlers. We might like to think the first word was mama or dada, but usually the first recognizable word we speak is no or nine. No, nie, whatever your language is. Even as babies. We recognize authority, and we instinctively kick back against it. We assert our autonomy against that authority. But the Bible tells us authority was God's idea. It's a good thing. And God has put certain authority structures in place for our good. One of those authority structures is parents, being an authority over their children. So Paul says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children here includes teenagers as well. Paul is saying this to you. Paul doesn't think you have to be in your 20s before you get serious about following Jesus. There's no lower age limit to trusting in Jesus. That means there's also no lower age limit when it comes to living a life that pleases Jesus. And one way to please him is to obey your parents or your carers. When verse 1 says, obey your parents in the Lord, that does not mean only obey your parents if they're Christians. It means Obey your parents as part of your own obedience to Christ, your Lord. If you're a Christian, then you will want to please the Lord, so obey your parents. And Paul adds, for this is right. Back in chapter 5, he spoke about things that are not right, things that are improper, things that are out of place for God's people. But this is right. I think we kind of know that without being told. We know it would be weird to have a society where parents obeyed their children. We might like that idea in theory, but we know it would actually be a mess for everybody. If I had been in charge of my parents when I was 15, we'd have spent all our money on football games and McDonald's nothing responsible would have happened at all. So we know it makes sense for children to obey their parents, but there is something in us that wants to defy their authority. And in the face of that, the Bible says, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you want to please the Lord, if you want to shine as a light in a messed up world, then take to heart the fact that obeying your parents is right. It is so right that God included it as one of the Ten Commandments. When God chose his top ten instructions for a well-ordered, flourishing world, one of those instructions was honor your father and mother. The fifth commandment, and that commandment is quoted here in verse 2. And God even attached a two-part promise to the commandment. Honor your father and mother so that, verse 3, it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Let's take the first part first. So that it may go well with you. Is this promising that nothing will ever go badly if you obey your parents or carers? No but it is saying life goes better when we live the way God planned for us to live. God invented parents. God gave them authority over us because that is what is best for us. Being our own boss is not best for us. My four-year-old self and my 10-year-old and my 16-year-old self was an idiot. I didn't think I was an idiot. I thought I would do a great job of ruling my life. But in fact, I just didn't have the wisdom or the experience I needed for that. And I can't really claim I've made much progress since then. But the point is, God was good to me by giving me parents who did not bow to my will. They didn't let me rule. Ted Tripp explains it like this. True joy is not having my own way, but following the will of God. Living as God has ordained is the best life a created being can have. The way God has ordained things means the way God has set things up. And he has ordained that the best life a child or teenager can have is a life of obeying his or her parents. So the first part of the promise is, obey your parents so that it may go well with you. The second part is, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Is this a promise you'll live to be 104 if you obey your parents? No not every obedient child does have a long life paul knew that historians tell us in the time paul was writing this letter between 39 and 50 percent of children died before they got to their 10th birthday paul knew that obedient children don't necessarily escape diseases and accidents but Children who take on board the wisdom of their parents do tend to live longer than children who despise and reject their parents' wisdom. So the message here is obey your parents not only because it is right, not only because it is pleasing to the Lord, but because it is also good for you. Now we need to acknowledge parents are not perfect even the best parents get things wrong and some parents are bad seriously bad these verses are not telling you to keep quiet if you are being abused god does not expect us to cover for abusers If someone is doing things to you that are not right, they cannot use these verses to try and make you put up with it. And these verses are not commanding us to obey our parents if that would mean disobeying God. Those are painful situations. And God does not think they're good for you. Those situations do not please him. If you are in a situation like that, talk to a Christian adult that you trust. You need someone to help you. These verses are speaking to children who have imperfect parents or carers, but those parents or carers are trying their best to do what is best for you. That's the kind of parents and carers these verses have in mind. When you have parents or carers like that, obey them, honor them, because that pleases your Lord Jesus and it's good for you. And it's what Jesus did. Luke chapter 2 tells us about Jesus during his boyhood. And it says he was obedient to his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary. And Jesus often spoke about his obedience to his Father in heaven. He said, I always do what pleases my Father. He said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do my Father's will. Jesus is asking you to do what he did. It's not easy, it's a battle, because we all want our own way. We all think that we know best. But if you want to please the Lord, this is a battle you have to fight. Of course, at a certain point, we're not children or teenagers anymore. When we become adults, the emphasis changes from obeying our parents to helping them. And later, to caring for them. As adults, we honor our parents in those kinds of ways. And many of us move from being children to having children. And the fact is, if we tend to rebel against authority when we don't have it, we tend to misuse authority when we do have it. That's what Paul deals with next. In verse 4, fathers do not exasperate your children. Notice he singles out fathers. That's because the Bible expects fathers to take the lead in parenting. That might not be the way it always works in our families, but if there is a father present, then this is how it's supposed to work. And because fathers are supposed to take the lead, The Bible says fathers are the most liable to exasperate their children. Or we could translate that, do not provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? Well, we already know from verses 1 to 3, this is not the kind of exasperation that comes when children are told to do something they don't want to do. That is not legitimate exasperation. But our children will be legitimately exasperated if we make unreasonable demands of them, if our punishments are too severe. Our children will be legitimately exasperated if we're consistently harsh and unfair in the way we treat them. They will also be legitimately exasperated if they see us rebelling against those in authority over us. And maybe this is where it really begins to bite for those of us who are fathers. Ted Tripp says, We cannot teach kids to respect our authority and then call our boss disrespectful names. Our children will not respect the spiritual authority of the church if we have roasted preacher for lunch on the Lord's Day. They will not be grateful for civil authority if we have no concern for civil servants or the traffic laws. One sure way to exasperate our children is by demanding that they respect authority while we disrespect authority. By all means, let's talk to our kids about how often we struggle to respect authority. Because another way to exasperate them is to act like we never make any mistakes. We can share how hard we find it sometimes to respect those in authority over us. But we must also show we are committed to God's structures of authority. We dare not model a life that's consistently giving the finger to authority. That's what fathers are not to do. Then positively, verse 4 says, we are to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So it's not enough to say, I'm going to be fair and I'm going to set a good example. God calls us to more than that. Back in chapter 5, verse 29, the word that is translated here as bring them up, it was translated back in chapter 5 as feed. And yes, we are to provide our children with physical food, but here Paul is talking about giving them spiritual food. We are to teach our children the Bible. That is not the job of Sunday school teachers. It's the job of Christian fathers. And if there's no Christian father in the picture, then it's the job of Christian mothers. And we can all pause here to be open and honest and admit that very few of us feel comfortable doing that. Very few of us feel qualified to do it in any way. But the Bible does not ask if we're comfortable or qualified. It says we're to do it it pleases the lord it's right a lot of the time i can't answer our boys questions about the bible but a few times a week we read a bit and we ask a couple of questions about what we've read no mini sermon just noticing together what the bible says And then we pray that God will make something of it. Then the other 99% of the week, we try to live out the things we're reading in the Bible. We try not to treat it like it's only important for the few minutes a week we're sitting on the couch reading it. We try to keep the truths that we read in mind, and we try to put the commands into practice. And a lot of the time... It will seem like it's just not working at all. But you and I have to let God worry about that. Our responsibility is just to keep doing it. So if you haven't been doing it, then apologize to your kids and get started. It will be awkward at first. It might stay awkward, but don't let that stop you. This word instruction, it includes the ideas of warning away from bad things and exhorting towards good things. The Puritan writer John Flavel says this to fathers. If you neglect to instruct your children in the way of holiness, will the devil neglect to instruct them in the way of wickedness? The answer is no. The devil is all over instructing your kids in the way of wickedness. So let's not make it easy for him by expecting them to figure out the way of holiness all by themselves. There are resources available to help us. Ask me or ask Steve and we will suggest something. So children, younger and older ones, let's fight the rebellion in our hearts that leads us to disobey our parents. And let's also think about our attitude. Let's ask ourselves, is it really pleasing the Lord if I obey, but I stamp around the house and slam doors while I'm obeying? And fathers... Let's fight the tendency we have to either misuse our authority by acting like a little tyrant around the house or the tendency we have in some cases to abandon our authority and neglect feeding our children with the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's fight the battle we need to fight. And then let's think about a second arena where we fight this spiritual battle. In verses 5 to 9, Paul talks about the challenge of pleasing the Lord when it comes to authority at work. And the first thing we notice very obviously about these verses is that they're not about work as you and I know it, they're about slavery. This is not a normal workplace. This is an unjust situation. It's an authority structure that has come about because of sin. And we need to know the New Testament does not endorse slavery. It does speak to people whose lives are impacted by slavery. The New Testament does not tell slaves to be happy about being slaves. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to slaves, if you have a way out, then take it. The New Testament does not support the sinful structure of slavery. But the reality is many people did not have a way out. And the New Testament gives them instruction about how to live in their situation until such times as they may have a way out. The other thing worth realizing is the kind of slavery we're dealing with here is not quite the kind of slavery we learn about at school. In the first century, many slaves were more like paid servants. People who were in debt would often sell themselves into slavery as a way of earning their way back out of debt. And often slaves had the opportunity to eventually buy their freedom. Many slaves were not slaves for life. However, that doesn't mean it was good. It may not have been as bad as the kind of slavery William Wilberforce fought against in this country. But it still wasn't good. Slaves were not free. And many slave masters could be cruel. And as Christianity spread, both slaves and slave masters were becoming Christians. They were sitting side by side in the church. And that is the context for what the New Testament says to slaves and slave masters. It's speaking to newly converted people about how to please the Lord in their situation. And although you and I are not in the same situation, we can still apply these verses to our lives. First, Paul speaks to slaves. Verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. You'll notice how in this passage as a whole, both children and slaves are called to obey. But it's very important to see the reason is different in each case. Children are to obey because it is right. God has set families up that way. But Paul does not say that to slaves. Their situation is not right. The situation they're in is not part of God's good plan for human relationships. They are not called to obey because it is right. They're to obey because their true master is Christ. And the one they are truly serving is Christ. They're not to be good, faithful workers because they have good earthly masters. They're to be good workers Because the Lord wants his people to do their best. Even in difficult situations. Even in unfair situations. As we said earlier, if they have a way out to a better situation, they're to take it by all means. But while they're in the situation, they're to do their best for Jesus' sake. And... They're to do their best because God will reward them for their faithfulness. Verse 8, serve wholeheartedly because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. This is not a promise of immediate rewards. It's about eternal rewards. God does not give rewards based on how high you manage to rise in the workplace. He rewards based on how sincerely and wholeheartedly you worked for his sake. And I think we can begin to see then the application for ourselves. How many of you have the perfect work situation? I don't see any other hands up. It's just me. None of you have the perfect work situation. But so long as you're in it, the main way you please the Lord is by doing your work well all the time for His sake. Not for your boss, but for Jesus. Your boss isn't always looking, but Jesus is. Your boss won't always give credit where credit's due, but Jesus will. The Bible does not say it's easy to honor God at work. It's not easy. It's a battle. Because all of us have a tendency to try and kick against authority, whether it's being well used or not. Honoring God at work is a battle. But it's a battle Christians are called to because it pleases the Lord when we do our best at work. And then Paul speaks to slave masters. And we might wonder, how can there be slave masters in the church? Well, we've hinted at the reason already. Slavery was a major part of society. There were many slave masters. And as Christianity spread quickly, some of them became Christians. And then, boom, you have newly converted slave masters in the church. Slave masters who desperately need to be instructed on how to please the Lord in their situation. And Paul says to them in verse 9, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. What does Paul mean when he says, Treat your slaves in the same way? The same way as what it has to mean in the way you treat your slaves realize you are serving your lord jesus that's what slaves were told in verses five to seven and later in this verse paul says their master is your master too you're not above them you're on the same level as them you stand beside them at the foot of the cross Forgiven by God's grace, you have no inherent superiority. They may have nothing, you may have a lot, but in God's eyes you're on the same level. They are as precious to God as you are. And so, Paul says, do not threaten them. Or actually, stop threatening them. You see, the threat of violence was the primary weapon the slave master had. That is what held the whole structure of slavery together. But Paul says, take violence completely out of the equation. Do you see that once that happens, the whole dynamic changes? Slaves become employees who are working for a wage. When the threat of violence is no longer used to keep someone, then the only thing that can keep them is the terms of their employment. Slavery will not survive on these terms. Would it be costly for Christian slave masters to put this into practice? Of course. Would it make them unpopular with other slave masters? Of course. But for the sake of their Lord Jesus Christ, these masters are called to restructure their whole approach and relationship with their workers. And there's the application for those of you who are employers. Those of you who have employees. They're not slaves, of course, and of course this is not saying if you're an employer that you cannot challenge or discipline workers who break their terms of employment, but this is a challenge about how you use your authority at work. If fathers are not to exasperate their children, employers are not to have their employees living in fear. As far as it depends on you if you're an employer, don't use a culture of fear to control those who answer to you. So many workplaces are like that. And the way you treat those men and women, remember the master that you answer to. He is the one who commanded his disciples not to lord it over others. And ultimately, Jesus laid down his life for others. So according to this passage, here is the spiritual warfare that you and I face. When we have authority, it will always be a battle for us to use that authority well. We will always be tempted to use it harshly or selfishly. We will be tempted to use our authority to threaten and to manipulate others. And when you and I find ourselves under authority in some situation in our lives, and we all do in some way, we're tempted to kick against that authority, to subvert it. Now, we might be tempted to be explosive rebels or sly and subtle rebels our preferred method of rebellion might be very direct or it might be devious. But all of us have rebellion in our hearts. It's been there since Genesis chapters 2 and 3 when God told the first man and woman, eat from any tree but this tree. And the man and woman said, stuff you, God, that's the one tree we're interested in. And we're going to have it ever since we have all had issues with authority. But as those who belong to Christ, you and I are called not to excuse our issues with authority. We are called to go to war against them. Because that is right, because that pleases the Lord. It's a mark of those who are filled with God's Holy Spirit. So as we close, let's take a moment first to bring this to God, just quietly where you are. Is there one thing you can take from this? You might not be in the position at the moment of a child or a father or a worker or a master, but is there one way that you can apply this when it comes to authority in your life? Are you under some authority that you're trying to undermine? Do you have some authority that you're using badly or not using when you should be? Let's ask God to show us the truth about ourselves and our situation. And as he does, let's commit to making the changes we need to make. Maybe it's a change of attitude. Maybe it's a change of behavior. Whatever it is, let's quietly speak to God about it And let's commit to fight the battle we need to fight in order to please the Lord. We'll take a moment where we can do that now. Our last song reminds us Jesus has saved us and he will help us as we fight to honor him in our lives let's sing together yet not I but through Christ in me